To you that are here and those watching online, glad you are here. We're um, taking a look at, well, we're looking at a portion of scripture as we've been doing this study, um, and we're looking at how God promises, intends for certain victories in our life, desires to bless us, and yet sometimes we don't actuate those things that God has already wanted for us in our life. And that's really the story in Joshua um, and how God has intended to bless. And what we learn is we learn these principles in the Bible of how we can get victory. And, and, uh, and as we've been learning, we've been learning as God is teaching us ways in which we prepare ourselves for battle and how we go through challenges and face these things in our life and how God gives us victory. But today, we're going to take a look at a principle of how, what not to do. We've been looking at what to do. Today, we're looking at something what not to do. And we're, we will discover that in their campaign of taking what God has already promised, taking the land that God has given to them called the promised land, um, there was one, one defeat and, and uh, how that defeat happened and what causes it and the principles that cause these things, we can learn from them. And so we'll do that. But before we do, let's go to prayer. Let's ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, thank you. Today we, uh, we come before you and uh, we ask that you would bless us as we take your word and we study your word this morning. Lord, um, we acknowledge that your word is inspired and uh, inerrant and uh, Lord is uh, the, the tool by which we are able to discover, Lord, your will, your ways and uh, your promises. Father, I pray that you would help me as I communicate, anoint me for this, and help us all to receive what you would want to speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, they just won the biggest victory in their history. I mean, this is an amazing deliverance. They've gone to battle against Jericho, which was a, um, a, a military fortress. And it was so, um, th this would be considered impenetrable. And, and not only that, it's who is battling them, who they are. They're not military people. Not one person in there except for Joshua has had any training, you know, militarily. They've been wandering in a desert their whole life. And they're, you know, and the best they have is a little bit of farming skills um, that they would have, but they are not military people, and they don't have the weapons for military use. They, they don't have what it takes to take on a fortress at this level, and yet God gives them a strategy that is completely, well, it, it's, it's just counterintuitive. It is not a military strategy at all, and it seems absolutely ridiculous. So, but they do it. They learn the principle of obeying God, hearing what God tells them to do, and they do what God asks them, and they march around the walls, and they, 
they, you know, scream out at the end and they blow the trumpets and all this stuff that has literally nothing to do with military, you know, conquest. They are doing it now and they win. And it was a breeze. It was so easy. They come out, you know, victorious with all this, you know, sense of we can conquer anyone and anything and do anything. And when you come to that place, sometimes that's when you're the most vulnerable. Sometimes it's when you, when everything's going well and it seems like whatever you put your hands to succeeds. Well, that's the time that you sometimes are the most vulnerable in your life. And that's the case here. And so we pick up this story in Joshua chapter 7 and verse number 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed thing. Now, for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now, what's the accursed thing? Well, you have to go to chapter 6 where we were last week. And you'll remember as we studied that in verse 18 of chapter 6, God made this declaration to them and he warned them he said and you by all means abstain from the accursed thing lest you become accursed when you take the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a, a curse and trouble it and now he tells them what it is but all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. They're not to be taken. They're to come into the treasury of the Lord. So when they, when they take this conquest, when they, they battle and they win, there's going to be a lot of things there available to them that, that they could take. And God says you're not to take any of it. You're to give it to the house of the Lord. You're to give it to the, the work of the Lord. And you're not to use it for yourself in any way, in any gain. And as we look at this, we, we understand that God told them that he had a plan. And, and the plan was, and we can see this connection here between um, what they were to do and what God had spoken earlier in Leviticus and in other places in the Old Testament where he tells them that you're to bring your tithe into the storehouse of the Lord. That was the requirement that God had get, given them and now when they go to battle, what they don't know is there are going to be 10 battles. And God is only going to tell them on the first battle that everything is to be brought in to the, to the Lord. That the, the other nine, they're going to get to keep everything that they, that they, uh, you know, that they have that is, take, that is available to them. It's all theirs. So, but they don't know that. God didn't tell them, we're going to have nine more battles, and you're going to be able to keep it. All God does is tell them, on the first one, don't take a thing. And he, tells, he calls it the accursed thing. Why is it? Is it because all that stuff that they would take is somehow bad, it's cursed itself? No, it becomes a curse because it was the Lord's, and they would take it to themselves. 
Now, there's all kinds of wonderful principles in here. And even as we look at it as that principle, the Old Testament principle of tithing and the New Testament principle of, of giving all to the Lord and then, then submitting to whatever God would want you to, to keep, which is really the more New Testament process. But there is a, there, there, we have a sample of that kind of giving in the Old Testament. And tithing was, in fact, required. And God said that you must do that. New Testament is more, everything is God's. And you ask God, what shall I keep? And it's a different process. But it still has that same element that the, the first fruits are to be given to God. And, and that even if you don't understand the process um, of what God is going to do with the rest, you operate in faith. We'll take a look deeper in that in, in a minute. Verse 2. So what he does is he starts off by giving us what happened. The conclusion as he writes in, in verse 1. And now he tells us a story. So verse 1 says, you know, they took of the accursed thing. And, uh, and there's judgment. And now he tells us the story. He says, now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Bethaven on the, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them saying, go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. Now, he's doing exactly what he knows. He was one of the spies the first time when they went into the promised land, and 10 of them came back with a bad report. But he also had sent spies out for Jericho. And remember that story. Two spies went out. They, uh, they, they met Rahab. And there was, you know, and they came back with the report. We can handle these guys. We can take them. And they trusted the Lord. And God gave them direction. Now, this time he sends out spies. And listen to what happens with the spies. Verse 3. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up. But let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. Are few? There's about 32,000 in Ai. It's actually bigger than Jericho. And, but you know what? We are so tough. We are so good. We're such military geniuses. We are, we, you know, uh, one of us can handle a hundred of them. There's no problem at all. So let's just send two or three thousand up against them, and we can handle them without, without any difficulty, because we took Jericho. Really, it was your prowess, it was your military abilities that took Jericho. Is that how you got it? It had nothing to do with God. God wasn't the one that really made that happen. I mean, all those walls fell down, fell down because you yelled loud. What was that about? The, and, and so the, he says, they say, let's just do a few. Now listen, the, their parents' sin was that their God was too small. They went into the promised land. They saw the Canaanites. They said, we can't take them. God can't help us. We can't defeat them. They came back with a bad report. Their problem was they didn't have faith, and their faith in God was a God that was too small to handle the problem. But their sin was their God was not needed. Their parents' sin was their God was too small. Their sin is God is not needed. 
And in this situation, instead of relying upon God, they, they took pride in the, the accomplishment, even though God was the one who made it all happen. And we forget in our life sometimes. Isn't it? How, how often do we just forget principles we've learned? Like, didn't they learn that God, that, that if they listen to God, God will give them direction. If they listen to God, God will give them victory. If they do what God says and obey, even if they don't, you know, understand it or fully, you know, fully get it, they, can, they know they can trust God. Haven't they learned that principle? And yet, after learning that principle, they forget the principle really quickly. How many of us have that same thing happen in our life? You remember God has taught you something and then down the, the line. You know, you know that you shouldn't be worrying or you shouldn't be fretting or you shouldn't be anxious. You know that, you know, trusting God is the best way to do. Relax in his, in his peace and his presence and then something happens. And all the principles that you've learned and you say you know and that you want to live by go out the window and we forget them. And we go back into a mode, an operation that is the way we're used to. It's the way we operated, but we thought we learned something. You know, sometimes we have to keep learning things over and over again. And the, the principle, till we really get it. And for them, they have, they have just jumped from this amazing victory that God, God had given them and forgot that it was God who gave it to them. And so, their parents were fearful, and they were prideful. And it says in verse 4, so about 3,000 men went up there from the, from the peop, people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim, and struck them down in the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted, became like water. So 36 men died. 36 wives lost their husband and family and children because of their arrogance and their sin. And it said the hearts of the people melted. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell, on, fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Now, if Joshua would have gone to prayer before the battle, he wouldn't be praying the prayer of defeat after the battle. No mention of them ever talking to God, having prayer before. We can handle these people. We're We've done it before. We'll do it again. And God is not even brought into, you know, the story. He's not even brought into the conquest. He's not brought into anything. Now they're doing it on their own. They're doing it with what they think is their abilities. And sometimes we, this is the way we operate. And, and I've heard people say, well, you know what? I don't really want to talk. I didn't really pray about this because God has bigger things to be concerned about, you know? And what they're really saying is that I can do this on, on my own. I don't really need God in this situation. And it might be small, at least in your mind. But, not, but oftentimes the things that we think are small are insignificant 
Well, when we don't put God in, they become big. The, 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 the insignificant things become big things because we are operating totally in the flesh rather than operating in the spirit. And we need to surrender to God. We need to bring, our, bring things before God. God wants to be in the center of everything in our life. He wants to be, that's why Paul over and over again says, pray without ceasing. I want you to, I want you to bring before me because God's way of operating is relational. Understand that. God is about relationship. And relationship means this, that in, the, in a real close, you know, relationship, communication is key. You know that in marriage, that if your marriage, if you don't have good communication, you're going to always be struggling in your marriage. And communication has to do with actually talking, actually communicating, actually getting, you know, getting, uh, getting the other person in. You know what Mar marriage is at its core when it's successful is simply shared life. It's shared life. And... And that's what the communication is about. It's about shared life. You know, if I, I, was, um, I was driving by this um, car dealership and I saw the ones that they had out front and uh, immediately thought, hmm, I wonder what they would get for, or I'd get for my trade-in, you know? Because um, I, I, I passed it right by and it, it wasn't really such a temptation for me right now. But... What if I would have pulled in and, you know, talked to him and said, hey, I'm going to trade in my car and drove home with a brand new car? And um, you say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, when I drove into my driveway and Carol came out <laughs> and she had no idea what was going on, um, I imagine some kind of conversation would go like, I, I, like this, um, that that is a loner, right? You're getting your car fixed. There'd be something along those lines, like you wouldn't actually go buy a new car without me being even told about it. And the thing is, I know about my wife, if I would have come home, if I would have asked her, hey, I, you know, I was driving by, I saw this car. Actually, I did that once. My car was not, I was going up to the mountains and it wasn't going to make it. And, uh, it had boohoo miles on it. And I, I pulled off because of traffic, and I actually called my wife and I said, hey, Carol, I'm, I'm at this dealership waiting, and I saw this car, and, and it's time for a new car, right? Yeah. She, I said, do you mind if I, she said, go ahead. Go ahead. So some of you guys would love to have your wife do that, right? <laughs> You're envying right now. But she, there would be no problem. But if I came home with that car and I hadn't communicated, that'd be a different story. That'd be a different story. Point being, we do that with God all the time. Say, well, he knows. Yes, he does. But you haven't given him the benefit of communicating with you about the thing he knows. And so that, the, the point is simply, you know, you... God is looking for us to actually communicate with them. Now, I want you to notice that the scripture says that all the elders, Joshua now goes to prayer, and it says, and they put dust on their heads. They put dust on their heads. 
they're trying to show God how serious they are. Now, I've never put dust on my head when I prayed. Uh, that I've never done that. But I have done other things that have been, well, you know, there, sometimes we think God will be, understand that we're more serious if I close my eyes. Because open your eyes in prayer, you know, you can't be that serious. So you close your eyes in prayer. Or I bow my head. Or I get on my knees. And all of those things are good, but they're not for God. You understand? If we, if we get on our knees or we prostrate ourselves before God or we close our eyes or whatever, those things are not, God does not like go, oh, wow, they're really serious. He gets that from our heart. Those things help us. See, you might want to close your eyes simply because the, you, know, you want to kind of focus more or you want to get on your knees because you want to humble yourself and be in a humble position. And actually physical, um, you know, the, the way you use your, your body language and so forth are valuable for you in both worship and prayer. But it doesn't make God go, Wow, they're really serious now. And so they, they do these things. Um, and it says, and Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To deliver us into the hand of the Amorites? To destroy us? Now, this doesn't sound like a prayer. It sounds like an accusation. That's what Joshua is doing. He is frustrated and he's angry at God and God understands that we 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 you know God, God can handle our emotions but this is disrespectful to God Joshua is actually accusing God of planning this whole thing out so he can destroy him as if God couldn't just destroy him without doing anything he could just breathe on him so what is this? Is Joshua processing things very well? He's not. He's not processing what God has done, and he is impugning the character of God when God has proven himself different. And this is how this works in our life. You've done this. I've done this. There are times when we've gotten frustrated at God, and we have, uh, we have impugned the character of God. And because of that, you know, we, we don't understand things. Sometimes things happen in our life and we're, we're angry because these things happen. A lot of times the thing that has happened that is negative that we're mad about, we have been the cause of it, but have not made the connection. See, with them at this point, they're, they're the reason why. The reason why is because someone has thieved. They hadn't talked to God. If they would have talked to God ahead of time, God would have made it much, much easier for them, and they wouldn't have gone down this road. But now they're facing defeat because of their own decisions that they make. And they don't make the connection. And you and I oftentimes don't make the connection either. So we get angry at God when God has already proven himself. I mean, what kind of God do we have? The one that would stretch out his hands on the cross and give us life for us. The one that would look down at those who are crucifying him and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know, the one that the scripture says, he who did not withhold his own son, but delivered him up freely for us, how will he not with him 
freely give us all things. He's not, he's not the God who withholds. He's the God who pours out blessing into our life. He's the God that is for us. He's on our side. And, that, and, the, and, and as we're looking at this, Joshua has forgotten all of this. Sure, there's defeat, and sure, there's sadness, and there's, there's, there's people who have lost their life. And he's judging God for the lives that have been taken and yet not made the connection that he's actually part of the problem. And so, oh, that we had, had he says, oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. In other words, Oh, that we wouldn't have listened to you. Because if we would it's because we listened to you, we've lost. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns his back before its enemies? How can I defend that? And then he says, for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our names from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? Because we're the only ones lifting up your name. We're the only ones glorifying you. What are you going to do then? And the Lord said to Joshua, get up. I think that's the tone. I really do. Get up. Why do you, why, why do you lie thus on your face? Get up. So Joshua's on his face praying, accusing God, and God tells him to get up. Now, it's the only place I know of in the Bible that God actually tells someone to stop praying. But there is a time to stop praying and start, act, start doing. There's a time when all your prayers are just really prayers of complaining. And this, listen, God hears prayers of complaint. There's a lot of good prayers of complaint in the, in the Bible. There's a lot of places where people were complaining before God. But there's a difference between complaining and, and ac- accusing. And God tells Joshua, stop being, you know, just stop this. Nothing's going to happen with you just complaining. You need to get up and do something. There's something that needs to take place. Get up. Stop lying on your face. It's time to get up off your knees. See, the purpose of prayer is not to inform God. We like to do that. God actually already knows. It's not bad to inform God in a relational way. Lord, this is what's happening, and you see this, and you know. But that's not the purpose. The purpose of prayer is to invite God into the process. Say that again. Skip Isaac said this, and I just want to give him credit for it. But the purpose of prayer is not to inform God. It's to invite God into the process. I believe that's absolutely true. They didn't invite God into the process, and because of that, that God could not do anything because they wouldn't listen to him. Joshua 7, 11 says, Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. I want you to notice it says, Israel has sinned. It doesn't say just Achan has sinned. There is a corporate part of, of, um, of, of our blessing with God 
and there's corporate curse. In fact, when corporate obedience brings blessing, corporate disobedience can also bring consequences. Would you understand that part? We all know this. We, we see this in our life. We might not make the connection. But because we live in America, let's do it big. We live in America. When America is, is blessed, we're blessed. When America does right, we're blessed. When America sins, the consequences affect us. The blessing affects us, and the consequences affect our lives. And so that's true of every, any nation. So if you, if, you're, if you grow up in a nation that has rebelled in, completely against God and rejected God or has false gods, that, that the, the blessing of God doesn't come, and, and there's consequences for that. And uh, oftentimes it's because of that, the very reason why, you know, the enemy seems to take over. You know, and we find ourselves in a battle now in our nation where, you know, there's, there's much sin and, and rebellion against God and so forth. And the consequences, the breakdown of, of family, the hurt that it brings to, to uh, you know, all of us, we, we have somewhat of that going on. Now, I'm not, I, what I want to also say is this, that no matter where you are, no matter where you are, if you have the blessing of God, that, that, that in some ways, many ways, overcomes even the corporate consequences. So God can bless you in the middle of, you know, where, where there's consequences that is happening because of others around you. But sin always affects us. Sin always affects more than the person who has sinned. It always affects people around you. Everyone here probably, I can say this, everyone here has experienced the consequences of someone else's sin in some ways. It's affected you. I shouldn't say the consequences, but the, 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 the effect of other people's sin has affected you. And, and when you, you know, lived under a household or, or you have, are in a relationship or whatever, even, you know, even those who you, like, if your kids live in sin, it affects you. Uh, it's true. It's just the way it is that sin always affects, is always bigger than just the per, to the person who has sinned themselves. And that's what's happening here. This man has sinned. It has affected the whole nation. And, and his sin has certainly affected people larger than, you know, just his, his circle. In verse, so the, the, the rest of that verse in verse 11, it says, For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. So when he saw it, he responded by taking it. And therefore, it says, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies. See, your sin has kept you from being able to stand. And notice it doesn't say, God doesn't say, I couldn't give you victory, but God is saying, I've separated myself because of your sin. Sin always separates. It's sin separates in relationship and sin separates us from God. And it says, and the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their back before their enemies. Because they have become doomed to destruction, neither will I be with you anymore. So God says, I'm not going to be with you. You know, 
He had told them, just like he tells us, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So when he's saying, I'm not going to be with you anymore, he's saying in the sense of being with you in battle. I'm not going to be with you when, you when you fight these battles because you are ignoring the sin in, in, in the camp. And listen, that's true in our lives too. God will never leave you, but you will be lost. In, you'll be alone in your battles if you just ignore sin in your life and you don't deal with it. He says, unless you destroy the accursed from among you, you got to take care of this thing. It's going to affect you. You won't get victory in your life if you're ignoring the sin in your life. Now, I'm going to say something that I hate hearing all the time. But I'm going to say it anyhow. In understanding this, no one's perfect. I hate hearing that. I, I think a lot of times when you say that as an excuse, you know, no one's perfect, so it doesn't matter what I do. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying this. We all have fallen. We all will fall. We all have, have these times where we make decisions that are wrong and contrary to God and sin. Let's not sugarcoat it. It's sin. It needs to be dealt with. But if we don't deal with it, we open ourselves up from all kinds of attacks from the enemy. Satan looks for the opportunity. And the gateway to get right into your life is unrepentant sin. And that's the point. It's, it's, it's an issue of repentant sin or unrepentant. It's, it's an issue of how you approach sin or think of sin in our life. Sin's a big deal, right? Sin is a big deal. We've, in our culture, we've tried to eliminate even using the word. We don't like anything that makes us feel guilty. So we try to eliminate anything that makes you feel guilty because if you feel guilty, that's wrong. You shouldn't feel guilty. Well, maybe you should feel guilty. Maybe, maybe feeling guilty is okay if it, in fact, drives you to find forgiveness and, and, and freedom and, and, you know, the power of God in your life. And so guilt in that sense. Now, there's a guilt that's condemning that is not of God. Okay, it's a condemning guilt. Guilt that drives you, what we would even call conviction, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the work of God, and it drives you to repentance. It drives you to freedom. It tries, drives you to victory. We need to embrace that. And if I feel guilty because I am guilty, it's good for me to then go before a forgiving and loving God and get forgiven and get power. And that's where the power comes from. It comes from a loving God who forgives you. If you ignore it, you, you set yourself up for constant defeat and you'll be like Joshua crying out, oh God, why did this all happen to me? And God says, get up and deal with that in your life. Don't ignore it. Say, well, I've tried to deal with it and it keeps coming back. I can't seem to get victory. The answer to that is this. 
keep going back to God. Jesus made this statement. How many times should I forgive? How should I, you know, should you forgive someone? 70 times 7. That's a lot of times. What, 490 times? In a day. Not a lifetime, in a day. I don't know that you could even sin that many times and ask for forgiveness in a day. Maybe you can. But you just wait till the next day and you got 490 more. Get it? So it's not a matter of God forgiving. In fact, the fact is, because God forgives, and if you don't take that for granted, what you will end up with is victory. That's what you end up with. This is where you get defeated. That you sin, you ask God to forgive. You sin again, you ask God to forgive. You sin again, you ask God to forgive. And you mean it. And then you sin again, and you're tired of asking God to forgive, and you think he's tired of forgiving you. And then you live with that. And the guilt grows. Because every time you keep going back to God, eventually what happens is God will begin to strengthen you. He that began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's working on you. He's, whatever it is, if you need deliverance from anything in your life, he will give you victory. You just must keep coming back to him. Don't ever stop coming back to him. Don't ever give up on anything in your life. On anything. And so, he tells them, he says, get up. Get up. And sanctify yourself. Sanctify the people, he says. Sanctify yourself for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord, verse 13, I'm in, Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst, Oh, Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing. So God tells them, in the morning, get the tribes together. I'm going to tell you what tribe to search. Then get the families. And they do that, and they end up with finding out the man who did it is named Achan. Achan's name means, get this, trouble. He is trouble. God had said, if you take the accursed thing, it's going to be trouble. And there was trouble. He says, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah. So God says, it, it says here, they know, they know his dad, they know his grandpa, they know his great-grandpa. This guy who did this. So Joshua says to Achan in verse 19, my son, beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you have done and do not hide it. And Achan tells him, and this is how he says in verse 21, what happened. He says, when I saw, seeing you can't help. Sometimes. Sometimes you see things and there's nothing wrong with seeing something. In fact, some of the things that you find yourself desiring, a lot of the things, most of the things themselves are not the problem. Desire is not the problem. It's getting what you desire, not God's way. It's not what you're getting, it's what, how you're getting it. And so, he says, um, I, I, I saw the spoils of beautiful Babylonian garment, 
200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. This is, this is a lot. He says, and I coveted. So I went from seeing it to having to have it. I got to have this. And then I took it. And, and there they are, hidden in the earth, the midst of my tent with silver and gold. Now, the consequences for this are going to be big. In fact, it's going to be death. Him and his family. And uh, his, even his children, though I don't believe that his children are young. I believe they're adult children. They all knew what was going on. They let it happen too. They didn't say to him, hey, you need to take that back. God has told us we're not to take this. So they're all going to be judged from this. And you see the severity of this, which um, God doesn't seem to strike people dead every time someone steals something like that. And it takes me back, it reminds me of, of another story that will be later on in, you know, in the New Testament. It's when the church started and there was, you know, there was a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who um, they, the, what was happening in the church is they were, love was, they, they were growing so generous because of the love of the Lord and the grace of God that they were, they were bringing their stuff and saying, hey, listen, we have this stuff, we have this extra stuff, we're going to bring it, let's take care of the poor in the church. And there were so many people that had needs and they took care of them. But then some of the people went, I'm, they took it a step further and they sold everything they had. Some of them sold their homes and everything and then brought it and said, listen, let's just distribute it. It wasn't required of them to do it, but they did it. But one couple wanting to be kind of admired like those others who had sold everything they went and sold everything but they only gave a portion of it but gave the appearance that they had given it all and so they were deceiving the people and they were and, and they were lying to the holy spirit and 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 the accusation was to them was why are you doing this you're lying to the holy spirit and 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 they, and, and they said, while it was in your hands, wasn't it yours to give or not to give? No one ma was making you do this. You did this on your own, but you wanted to appear to be more generous than you really are. You were deceiving. And the consequences with both of them died. Now, aren't you glad that that isn't the way it works today? Because I'd be the only one left in church. I mean, it would be... <laughs> I'm glad it isn't. But what God was setting, the scripture says that fear went throughout the church and throughout the community as they realized the severity. And it was setting a standard. And God was setting a standard for the children of Israel for generations. Setting a standard. And when God says, this is mine, you're not to take it. It's his. And, and it's always supposed to be his. Now, if, now listen. If Achan would have just waited one day, think about this. He didn't know it, but if he would have waited one day, that's all. Then all of a sudden, all the spoils of, of AI, well, they would have been his, but he took it in Jericho. So all the spoils of AI, they would have all divvied it out. He would have had more than what he got from Jericho. 
And not only that, the ne next eight, eight other cities after our towns that they defeated, he would have got that. He would have got 10 times as much as what he had gotten. And besides that, when God divvied out the land, he would have got the farmland for his family, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, and all the fruit that that would have. God had so much more he had for him. But he, he didn't see, he didn't see the character of God. God didn't tell him ahead of time that he was going to give him all the rest. He didn't know if, if the next place they went that God was going to tell them, you know, that they were to give, them, give it all away or not. He didn't know. But God was causing him to trust him. And that's what the whole principle of first fruits is. You give God your best, you give God first, and you trust him for the rest. A lot of people, when it comes to giving, and I'm not just talking about money, but it's the principle here was money, but a lot of people wait and see, well, I'll give God whatever I have left over rather than giving God first and trusting that God will take care of them. And that's the principle of faith. That, see, God is building something in us of generosity and faith. And what God wants to do is he wants to release from us control. Control of the things that he gives us. And that can be your gifts, your time, your abilities. It's all of those things and more where we say to God, it's you first, and then we'll take whatever you give us. And if you know the character of God, this is what you know, that when you bless and you do what God asks of you, he's going to give you more than what your hoarding could have possibly kept for you. Say that again. If you give to God first, you'll know that he's going to give you more than what your hoarding would have gotten you. And, and that's, that's an issue of really the character of God. Do you believe God? Jim Elliott says it this way. said, God always leaves his best for those who leave their choice unto him. I believe that's true. So James says... That, um, that we're tempted in the same way. He says we're tempted in James 13. Let no one say I'm tempted. When he's tempted, he's tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away. That's like a, that's a hunter term to draw to a trap by his own desires and entice. Entices a a fishing term, it's baiting the hook. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it's full grown brings forth death. So desire is normal, but trusting God is a way to see and receive and get the fullness of the desires that you have. The Bible said, whatsoever you desire when you pray, believe. 
trust. Trust the Lord. So the messengers go out. They get Achan, and, um, and they find everything, and, uh, and the consequences happen to, to Achan and his household. But then in verse 26, and we'll close with this, it says, then they raised over him a great heap of stones. So they buried him, put the stones, uh, and he says that they're still there to this day. So by the writing of Joshua, um, they're still there. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of the place has been called the Valley of Achor. Now, Achor is, is Achan. It comes from Achan. So, and it means the same thing. It means the Valley of Trouble to this day. Say, okay, what does that have to do with me? Well, it doesn't end there. There are two times in Scripture that the Bible gives promise about the valley of Achor. And one simply says, the valley of Achor will be a place of prosperity. Isn't that interesting? God would make the valley where the guy who stole the stuff the place of prosperity. And then Hosea says the valley of Achor will be a door of hope. A door of hope. The valley of Achor. See, because this is how it works. The failure of your past doesn't have to be the conclusion or the definition of your life. That's a principle of God's word. That you might look back at times and there might be even guilt from those things and that God has forgiven you from because you've asked him and you are cleansed and, and your failures are not going to inhibit. They, they have inhibited you, but they're not going to inhibit your future. They're not meant to inhibit your future. And if, if Achan would have came forward... We don't have the rest of that possibility in store. But if Achan would have come forward and said immediately, I have sinned before God, and he would have knelt down, I don't believe he would have lost him and his family. I believe God would have forgiven him. And that's, I know that's the character of God today. I know that's a new covenant that God has made for us. In your past, if you've asked God to forgive you, will you forget about your sin? Not forget about what sin does, but will you forget about your sin being an inhibitor of what God has for you now? There's people right now sitting and listening here and online, and you have never been able to get past your past. I know that, I just feel it. And you, you keep trying, and you hear the promises, you hear about God's forgiveness, but you can't even forgive yourself. You hold that against yourself in such a way that it just keeps you from the blessing that God wants to pour out. And you, quite frankly, because you do not believe that God will forgive you, God can forgive you or is willing to forgive you, it's because you're impugning the character of an extremely loving God who has proven himself. And you need to stop doing that. He can't do more. He died for you. And he invites you and he says, come into, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Come to me, Jesus says. So, 
whoever you are, I, um, I pray that you'll get it. You need to. You need to get it. You need to be free. Jesus so desires that for you. But you have to trust. You have to actually believe what he says. And no one can do that for you. But I can tell you, his word is very clear. Nothing you have done, nothing you have done can't be forgiven. Nothing you have done is beyond his grace and mercy. And so whoever you are, would you be free, please? It's keeping you from your future, and it doesn't need to be. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the love that you've given us in Jesus. I ask God that you would touch each of our lives. Lord, wherever we're holding things or wherever we're unwilling to trust you, I pray that that's the very thing we will give to you today. No longer holding out, fully surrendering completely to you. I pray, God, that this would be a day of freedom for whoever, Lord, was we were talking to. I know your spirit is speaking to people that have been living so bound by their failures. And there's some that just, what they've done, they can't forgive themselves for. But today, let me just, I just want to say to you, whoever you are, you don't have to forgive yourself if you'll just understand Jesus has forgiven you. Truly, cleanse you. I think if God is willing to forgive you, maybe you ought to recognize and maybe you can move forward then. You can go forward. God will forgive you. Just say, Lord, cleanse me. Forgive me. If you've never asked God, God, please cleanse me. I invite Jesus to be in my life, to be my Savior. I trust you, Jesus, that you died for me and that you rose from the dead. And I surrender my heart to you, Jesus. Amen. falls it won't prevail the God I serve knows only how to triumph and my God will never fail yes my God will never fail I'm gonna see a victory gonna see a victory for the battle belongs to you Lord I'm gonna see a victory I'm gonna see a victory for the battle belongs to you
there's power in the mighty name of Jesus. Every war he wages, he will win. I'm not backing down from any giant, cause I know how this story ends. Yes, I knew. Yes, I know how this story ends. So I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. We believe. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good.
gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. Oh. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Be blessed as you go. Victory. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you. It's like a crackle, huh? So I, yep. I, I hear it when I adjust the